Are you losing the battle with your weight? High blood pressure? Gout? Diabetes? Or headaches? Do you feel depressed? Hopeless and defeated? What if this isn't the way God intended us to live? Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us victory, even in our health. Then why are so many of us walking in defeat? So what does victory in health look like for us? This is the last topic of our healthy series that we've been doing this summer. And I thought we'd finish up with looking at this idea of victory. So for me, I, these days I have kind of a little bit of a mix of victory and defeat. Um, earlier this year, I ran the Rome Marathon, which was a pretty huge accomplishment for me. Um, I thought my marathoning days were over, so there's that. That's, no, that is not Photoshopped. I am actually in front of the Coliseum. Um, and that, so that was pretty amazing. I was thrilled with that. And, and now this summer, um, I'm training for a half marathon, and I'm running along with some of the River Life family, and we're training up for that in September, and that's going really well. And so there's some areas, uh, like getting myself back into exercise, where I'm experiencing some great victory. But there's also some areas where I'm still feeling very defeated. I'm still overweight. Um, I, I seem to be hovering right around that 150 territory. Um, and I've, I've really, realistically, I've got probably about 40 pounds to lose to really get my diabetes under control and get down to a healthier weight. And, and that's pretty overwhelming when I think about losing that much. Um, it can be a fairly daunting task. And so the truth is, man, I have, I have good days and I have bad days. I have days where I'm feeling positive and I'm feeling hopeful, and then days where it feels a, kind of a little hopeless. So how about you? Where are you on this scale of victory to defeat? Where are you? Some of you, maybe you're feeling healthy and you're exercising and things are going well. And, and you're positive about your health right now. Or maybe it's not going so well. Maybe you're ignoring your weight. And you know you should be eating better, but you're not really doing a whole lot toward it. Uh, maybe you've got a diagnosis. You've been to the doctor for a checkup, and whether it's high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, gout, uh, any of those things, and, and you're wrestling with, what do I do to improve my health because change is hard. And the older you get, the harder change gets. So maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're young enough where you're not really worrying about health. You're strong. You can go out running on Saturday and volleyball on Sunday and then, and then go play football Sunday night. Any one of those would put me in the bed for like two days. <laughs> but maybe you're young and strong and fit, and you're not really worrying about your health. Or maybe you are worried. 
So if you are, if that's sort of where you're at right now, what are some of those emotions that come along with that? Are you feeling defeated? Are you feeling broken? Are you feeling kind of hopeless that you might just have to accept whatever comes your way? But like, like the video said, what if this isn't the way God intended us to live? What if this isn't the way God intended me to live? Is it possible for us to actually have victory in our health? And if it is, how do we get it? How do we get that victory when it seems so elusive? And it seems so difficult. And it seems so many of us seem to be on the defeat side of the scale. Well, thankfully, we aren't the only ones in history to be losing a battle. We should be winning. The Israelites dealt with this exact same thing. Exact same thing. And so we're going to see if we could learn a little bit from them this, this morning here. So first I want to give you a little bit of background. So let's go back to about 2000 BC. God calls up Abraham, the father of the Israelite people. He calls up Abraham and he gives him some promises. He promises Abraham that he will have descendants. He promises Abraham that he will have land. And he promises Abraham that he will have divine protection. But there's a catch. And that catch is obedience. That Abraham and his family and his descendants to come would have to obey God. Go where God tells them to go and do what God tells them to do. That was the catch to all of those promises. Okay? Now, let's fast forward about 600 years to about, so about 1400 BC. We're going to fast forward 600 years from Abraham to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, uh, I, uh, to Joshua. Uh, sorry, not Joshua yet. Joshua comes in a little bit. To Joseph. And then there's a little break, and then we have Moses. Okay. Through, through all of these multiple generations of Israelites, the promise still stands. God doesn't break his promises. The promise still stands through all of these generations. And with Moses, Moses frees the people from slavery in Egypt, okay? You've probably seen the, at least the cartoon. You've seen the Prince of Egypt, okay? If you haven't watched it, great cartoon, but read the book, it's better, okay? And so, so there's Moses, and Moses has a protege. His name is Joshua, and Joshua grew up under Moses, and Joshua was a great military commander, which was good because, because God needed to rise up. He needed to, to raise up, sorry, raise up a military leader because God had some battles for the Israelites to fight. And the first battle that God had for the Israelites was, you may have even heard of it before, it was Jericho. You know, march around the walls, all of that. If you, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you, you've probably heard the story of Jericho. Okay? That was the first battle. And what was amazing about the battle of Jericho was God gave this set of instructions that no military commander would ever follow. 
But Joshua knew if he obeyed the Lord, he would have victory. And he knew that because right at the beginning of Joshua's command of his rule, God said this. He said, be careful to obey and I'll give you victory. So as ridiculous as God's orders sounded, okay, march around the city, don't say anything. March around the city, you blow some trumpets, you shout a little bit, you wait another day and you go camp. And then you march around the city, you march... And, but he did it. So Joshua and the army did everything God commanded. And sure enough, they won. It was an easy battle. It wasn't even a fight. They won because they obeyed God. They did everything God commanded them to do. Well, almost everything. And that's where our story picks up today. So we're going to read out of Joshua 7. You can read along. If you brought a Bible, you can read that. Pull up the Bible on your app. You can also re read along the screen when it comes up. But we're going to read out of Joshua 7. And after Jericho, the next city that the, the, the Israelites were to conquer was a city named Ai. And, and so that's the next city. But there's a problem before they get to Ai. That's where we pick up. So Joshua 7, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV if you can click that. We're going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 12, jumping ahead a few verses in the middle there. So this is Joshua 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Dun, dun, dun. Okay? So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. You see, it, God commanded Joshua and the Israelite armies, all of the people, to destroy everything in Jerusalem. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, in Jericho. Destroy everything. Kill everybody. And destroy, burn, and torch everything except the most valuable stuff. The best stuff of the city, they were commanded to take that. That's like the gold and the silver and the best cloths and, and the newest Jordans and the newest iPhone 8. It isn't even out yet. They had to save all of that stuff, okay? They had to take all of the best material and take it into the Lord's treasury, and it would become sacred objects. That's what that phrase devoted things means. They were the sacred objects of God, and they took what they thought was all of the devoted things. But Achan, Achan pocketed some of it. He's like, ooh, hmm. Okay, tucked it in his little cloak there. So that's how you could remember his name because he was Achan to get his hands on that gold. That, you're welcome, you're welcome. Okay, so, so he took some of the gold. He blatantly disobeyed God. The good stuff looked too good to him. So let's continue. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Remember, first city, second city. He sent men from, jo from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, to the east of Bethel. Not the college, not there. We're way off track there. To the east of Bethel and told them, go up and spy out the region. So they're doing a little re reconnaissance there. So the men went up and spied out Ai. 
When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two, 3,000 men. Um, send two, 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they got routed by the men of Ai. Okay, that means they got crushed by this small little town. Okay, let's continue. So um, they, they, they chased the Israelites from the city gate. This is the Aeons, Aeonians, whatever you would call people from Ai. The Ai folks chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and, stuck, and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. So they get crushed. They lose a battle that the spies, the recon crew, said that it, was, it should be easy to win. And they lose it. And they were scared. The Israelites had a great army, one of the strongest armies around. They had a great army, but they were scared. They tucked tail and ran because they were scared of this little dinky town called Ai. They might have given up hope, but they were certainly feeling defeated. Let's continue. Then Joshua tore his clothes. I won't actually do that, okay, for the safety of all of you, okay? Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. That's, that's God's presence. That's where Moses' tablets were in the ark. That was God's presence right there. He fell down to face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Okay, I know all this, this stuff sounds pretty strange. Sprinkling dust on their heads, tearing their clothes. What, they're tearing a perfectly good cloak? Why would you do that? Okay, but all of these were very normal things back then. These were signs of grief. These were signs of distress. So it's kind of like, like going to a Hmong funeral and, and you see some of the aunties and stuff up front and they're wailing really loudly and it just echoes through the whole funeral. Okay. The, like to, to most white people, that seems really strange. But if you go enough to be like, oh, that's just par for the course. That's kind of normal. So this was their expressions of grief. It was things like tearing their clothes, putting dust on their heads. And that demonstrated how broken Joshua and the leaders were over what had happened. And then Joshua cries out to God. He cries out. He basically says, what happened, God? What happened? Why would you do this to us? What went wrong? In a sense, you could hear him asking, why are we walking in defeat when you promise to give us victory? Well, here's God's answer. So we're going to jump ahead a few verses uh, of that prayer. But that's kind of the, the, the gist of it is, what happened, God? Why would you do this? And here's God's answer. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, my promise. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. 
They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and they have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made that because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. That's a pretty harsh word. Have you ever thought that God could actually say, I will not be with you until you clean up that sin? That's pretty heavy. So they were defeated by Achan's sin. It wasn't their military, military strategy. It wasn't the size of their armies, the number of chariots, their strength. No, none of that. They were the vastly superior army. But they were defeated by one man's sin. He disobeyed God. And the Israelites were beaten. And God's blessing came with obedience and it means God withdrew his blessing because of disobedience. So they had to get rid of the sin. So through a process of, 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 of kind of going through fam, clan by clan and family by family, God revealed to them that it was Achan. And they had to cleanse the people. So they, they executed him. By God's command, they killed Achan. They killed his family. They burned his stuff. They obliterated him from the presence of the community. And then they took those things that were supposed to be devoted things. They were supposed to be sacred. They were supposed to belong to God. They took them out of Achan's tent, and they brought them back to the treasury of the Lord. Disobedience always has a price tag. And it's a pretty hefty price to pay. Don't ever think you can get away with disobeying God without any impact on you, your family, your kids, your friends, your church. Disobedience always has a high price tag. So sure enough, they, again, they followed God they banished the sin from the community. And then in chapter 8, the next chapter up, they went up against Ai. And this time they obeyed everything God commanded them. And they defeated Ai. They won. They won the battle they should have won the first time. And from this, we learn a really valuable lesson. Victory comes in the footsteps of obedience. Let me say that again. Victory comes in the footsteps of obedience. One reason that I love this story is the message is very clear. Sometimes the Old Testament can be tough. We can just acknowledge that. Sometimes Old Testament stories can be difficult. This one is not difficult. It's very, very clear. The Israelites disobeyed, they were defeated. They obeyed, and they won. They were victorious. And that is because victory comes in the footsteps of obedience. 
but they didn't see it at first. That's not how they saw victory. They saw victory in terms of work, of numbers, horses and chariots and swords and shields and all of that. But they learned a valuable lesson. Victory comes in the footsteps of obedience. God had to redirect their attention. It's actually one of my, one of my favorite lines out of, out of this period in Israel's history. Is there's, there's Joshua on the ground praying all day. And God says, get up. What are you doing on your face? You're dealing with the wrong issue. Go deal with the right issue. And when they did, they won. They experienced God's promise of divine protection and victory. So if that's true, why are so many of us, myself included, experiencing far more defeat in their health than victory? Why are we not experiencing the victory that God promises those who follow him? Well, we might be asking the wrong question. We might be doing the wrong thing. God might want to be saying to us, stand up and deal with the sin in your life. So, so when I think about Achan and I think about us and I think about me, I, think about, I, I see two big areas where, where we can kind of lose sight of the right way to think about victory versus defeat. First, first are kind of what I'm going to call big obvious sins. Big obvious sins, okay? These are the things that the Bible clearly and without question talks about. These are the stuff that even non-Christians know Christians shouldn't be doing. Right? Lying. You're lying to save face. You're lying to make yourself look a little better. Or pride and selfishness. You put yourself first. You talk about yourself a lot. You sort of demand your own way in your marriages with your parents. Or being really critical and judgmental. Judging what people say, whether maybe whether they're Christian enough or not, or, or not Christian enough or too Christian. You start judging what people say, what they wear, what they do. And honestly, this list of things that are really obvious in the Bible, this could go on and on. Greed, jealousy, lust, anger, cheating, laziness, drunkenness, all of those are directly taught against. And chances are, some of us have some big obvious sins in our life that we are not dealing with right now. We, we, we've stolen some of the devoted things and we've stashed them in our tent. And maybe we don't think anything's going to happen, but it's only a matter of time. So first is we've got to clean up. We've got to deal with our big obvious sins. So I ask you, what is one big obvious sin in your life? Something that you know without a doubt the Bible teaches against. Something you know without a doubt that God does not want in your life, in your family, in your work. So first, 
what's a big obvious sin in your life? Okay. Second, the second one is behaviors that we know are harmful to our health. Behaviors that we know are harmful to our health. Now, this is a different class of thing. These aren't necessarily sins, but they're things we're doing that we know are hurting our health. So, as I mentioned earlier, like, I, I've had some victory, some defeat in my health, and, and over time I've experienced that. But one of my health issues that I was really successful and still am, one of my health issues I, that I have successfully defeated was gout. So about five years ago, I woke up one morning with a crazy pain in my ankle. Like someone had snuck into my room and broke my ankle in the middle of the night. <laughs> like I couldn't stand on it. It was so painful. And if any of you have gout, you know exactly what I'm doing. Maybe it's your big toe. Maybe it's somewhere else. But for me, it was my ankle. I, I went into the doctor, and they ran all kinds of tests. And they didn't catch the gout at first, but eventually they did. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, so one of the first things they tell you, one of the biggest uh, indicators, or, or not indicators, but one of the biggest contributors to gout is pork. And all you mong out there know, okay, party time, family time, we love our pork. So I just made the decision I was going to cut pork almost entirely out of my diet. For a while, I cut it out completely, which for me meant no bacon. Oh. Like, I could get away with the giant chunks of pork they serve, like, at the funerals and parties. Like, I could do that one, but, like, to lose my bacon. Man, but I did. And so I, now I probably eat 10% of the pork that I used to eat. And in five years, I have not had a single gout outbreak. So I've, I've managed on doing it because I dealt with the thing I knew was harming my health. That's the second thing that we can learn from Aiken, that we've got to do, if we know we're doing something and we know it's hurting our health, we have to stop. We have to cut back. We have to moderate. Because the truth is, God will not bless you in one area of your life if you're living in disobedience with the other area of your life. God is not going to give you health if you're doing all kinds of things that you know are hurting your health. It, it doesn't work that way. So I ask you, what is one thing that you're doing that you know is hurting your health? Is it something you're eating? Is it a way that you're eating? Is it that you're not exercising? Is it, what, what is, it, is it you're drinking? You're not drinking enough water. You're drinking too much liquor. What is it? Are you drinking not enough enough? Are you eating? What, what is it? So what is one thing that you know that you're doing that is hurting your health? It's time to kind of step up to it and make a change. Because God can't give you victory until we start obeying him in the big obvious sins and the little areas of health. Achan genuinely thought he could get away with it. He genuinely thought no one would notice. He genuinely thought he could just sneak under the radar. And I think sometimes we think about that, we think that way with our health. 
how we think like it's not that big a deal. I know I, I kind of do that all the time. It's not that big a deal. I can, I can just keep going on with life. It's not really going to impact me. But we all know poor health always catches up with us. It's caught up with me, and then I outran it a little bit, and then it caught me again, and I outran it a little bit. Okay. But our poor health choices always catch up, just like it caught up with Aiken. So imagine. If, imagine if every one of us in here, in the River Life family, found one big obvious sin to deal with in our life, to confess it, to repent, which means turn the other way, and then clean it up, and then if all of us found one area, one area of something we're doing that we know is damaging our health, and we could take one step to obey God, and that one step led to another step, and a few months later, that step led to another step. Imagine what that would look like. And those little steps would lead to a little victory, which would lead to a bigger victory. Imagine if we all could be living in the victory that God promises and wants for his followers. But the, the catch is still there. It requires obedience. So instead, instead of us as a group of people walking in defeat, imagine us together walking in victory, one step at a time, one act of obedience at a time, one difficult thing at a time. And now we get to live out the promises of God. And now we can praise God and we can thank God for what he's doing in our lives and transforming us in a way we as individuals and we as a church never thought he could do. But he can. But it takes your obedience, it takes my obedience to receive that incredible promise of divine victory. Join me in prayer. God, we recognize the same promise that you gave to Abraham is the same promise you give to us. Divine protection, victory. But we also recognize, and I confess on 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 behalf of river life and be on behalf of me. Lord, I confess our disobedience to you. Lord, give us hearts to turn to you. Lord, give us, give us the will to confess to you, to confess to one another, to repent, to turn away in concrete ways from our sins. God, to make the hard decisions to clean it up, get ourselves out of the places and the things and the relationships that are pulling us away from you and pulling us away from your blessing. So help us, Lord. We need your help because we can't do it. We run our lives into a ditch. But with you, you want to give us great victory. God, and I thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who provided 
the death so that we can receive that victory. We can receive that forgiveness. We can receive that restoration in relationship with you. God, I thank you that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are, your creation. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.